Yeah, I don't know what your you know urinary tract is like, but it said you had no active stream. Mmm. Yeah. And it it also said uh, aborting. So I'm like, ooh, well, I guess we know where Libsyn's politics lie. Not in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> we had to shut that shit down. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. What's up? <laughs> Nothing much. How you doing? You good? Oh, I'm doing good. I, I took a, I like a, you know, broadcast professional. I asked a question and immediately took a sip of water. Um, <laughs> well, you thought maybe I would have more to say. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> oh, you there? Did I lose you? Oh, what happened? Oh, there we go. Oh, yeah. hey, okay. But I was, I was just saying, as a, as a former broadcast professional, I, uh, first of all, don't have a working microphone, and B, I, uh, I only give one-syllable answers now. Good. <laughs> That's it. That's all you get out of me. <laughs> You've now gone to uh, the other side of interviews with a broadcast professional, where instead <laughs> of, you know, being the person doing the interview, you're the person... Uh, giving like get, getting interviewed and you know it's just yeah it's good yeah, yeah events coming up this weekend and I also yeah we're really excited about it answer from back here because i have something very important to tell your audience and <sighs> it really my paycheck relies on this being a success and so uh, i'm gonna speak about it from back here uh just so <laughs> <laughs> you have to turn up the microphone to uh you know feedback levels um and you know Thanks for coming out. Uh, there, 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 there's more. There's more I could say, but I, uh, I, I wish to not. <laughs> you want to get okay. you ready to get going? Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing: watching curb your enthusiasm for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy, and I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about Season 6, Episode 3, The Ida Funkhauser Roadside Memorial. I'm going to say the longest title that we've had in the run of the show so pretty far. Pretty long. It's pretty long. Yeah. It's it's a long one. Um, and, but before that, what's the deal with stuff from our last episode? The Anonymous Donor, also kind of long. Definitely not as long as The Ida Funkhauser Roadside Memorial. All we really wanted to know from last episode was... What was Ken Jeong doing in 2007 that uh, led him to become man in jersey number one with uh, one little line yelling about Larry David uh, with his gang of street toughs chasing him through the, the streets there? Well, uh, I, let's start back in 1969 when Ken Jeong was born in Detroit, then raised mostly in Greensboro, North Carolina. I did not know this because I knew Ken Jeong was a doctor, but I didn't know that acting was like a passion of his throughout his life because hmm. the the fact that he's a doctor and people harp on that kind of and and makes it seem like the acting thing just kind of was an accident and it just kind of happened to him it was like yeah this guy was a doctor and that's now kind of he's how, that's kind of what i thought too yeah yeah and so i was surprised to find that he started pursuing acting while he was a sophomore at duke university there in north carolina and he even briefly considered majoring in drama while still continuing his pre-med coursework he did graduate from Duke in 1990, then got his MD at the UNC School of Medicine in 1995. The summer before medical school, he did take some theater classes at UCLA. And so his background in theater and improv started while he was still a medical student in North Carolina. He was a regular at open mic nights in the Raleigh-Durham circuit. He also emceed the Comedy Spot programming series on Duke University uh, on their campus in 92 and 93, opening for Margaret Cho, Jeff Dunham among others. <laughs> uh, so I guess there's some characters probably Jeff Dunham didn't do 
when Ken Jong was opening for him, or maybe he just didn't care and went ahead and <laughs> did all that. <laughs> he probably just did him anyway. I, you early know, 90s I don't material. Think, <laughs> I don't know if Jeff Dunham has a very like aggressive anti-Asian character. Oh, untapped market. Yeah. Jeff, what are you doing, dude? You're leaving money on the table. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I would definitely expect Jeff Dunham to have like a talking fortune cookie puppet or something yes oh my gosh i don't yeah think, with like a, with like a long does, with like a fu manchu mustache oh it's got gotta yeah i know he's and got hat, i know course, he's got the, the rice, yeah. he's got the skeleton that's the dead terrorist right he's got the talking jalapeno pepper uh yes. and is there another one that's just like racism incarnate i don't think so because then there's the old white guy there's the old white peanut. guy yeah peanut is just like you know a a Some fucking sort of... Muppet or something, yeah, but definitely yeah. drops a couple of hard R words. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, my oh God, my yeah. Gosh. Oh, Tim, this I is like 07, 08, like height of like Mind of Mencia type of comedy. <laughs> so uh, back to Ken Jong, though. He, um, the whole reason we started talking about this is he opened for Jeff Dunham. He completed his residency in internal medicine in New Orleans, and he won the Big Easy Laugh Off in 1995 while still working at the hospital. NBC president Brandon Tartikoff and the improv founder Bud Friedman were judges, and they both told Zhang to move to L.A., which he did in 98, continuing to practice medicine as a physician of internal medicine. He began performing regularly at the improv and the Laugh Factory and comedy clubs. His stand-up work got him on TV, including in 2002 on Comedy Central's Comic Groove. Back when Comedy Central used to show a bunch, like, they just had those random stand-up comedy shows. Uh, NBC's The Office. He was, if you remember, uh, Michael Scott's improv teacher in Season 2, Episode 9, Email Surveillance in 2005. So, yet another Office alum. I totally forgot about that, that uh, we can, uh, you know, chalk up to Curb Your Enthusiasm appearances. He was on Mad <laughs> TV. He was on Entourage. And, of course, he was on Mad TV? Yeah, I guess he had a little appearance on, huh. on Mad TV. I don't know when, but I, I think it was probably just kind of a special guest appearance or something. I don't think he was actually in the cast or anything. Um, I'm sure you'd remember that. So, and then, and then in 2007, of course, uh, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, he made his film debut in Knocked Up as a doctor, which proved to be his breakout performance. So that was 2005. So he was a Knocked Up a couple years before Curb Your Enthusiasm. But from that point on, from 05, he was able to transition from medicine into a full-time career in the entertainment industry. He gave up his practice in 06... But he does maintain his medical license and has assisted with medical emergencies during performances and on set. Uh, and, of course, <laughs> uh, four years after Knocked Up and uh, being a full-time actor from 2006 on, The Hangover, of course, is when he really exploded in 2009. So that's a little bit where, you know, so Ken, Ken Jong was a working actor at this point, but and, and two years after getting like a pretty juicy role in a Judd Apatow film, during the height of his powers, but you know, still a little ways away, maybe from being a house the household name, definitely that he is today on the Mass Singer and all that stuff. Uh, so that's a little background on Ken Jong. Here is uh, some trivia from the episode: When Larry goes to the dry cleaners, among the autographed celebrity pictures on the wall are actors from other HBO shows, including Peter Krause and Rachel Griffiths from Six Feet Under, Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City, and Kevin Dillon from Entourage. I don't know if it was a uh, a bit of uh, subliminal cross promotion on HBO's part, but you know maybe they just dug around the production office and they're like, oh, we need some you know celebrity pictures to hang up on the wall here, like they do in Hollywood, uh, and they just you know they just found those in a closet somewhere. I don't know, but uh, that is all uh, from trivia and tidbits and, and homework. Uh, do not rise because there is no more book. Do not yeah, do it. Don't. Do not. 
keep, please keep yeah. sitting. You don't have to do anything because uh, there's there's no more book. Uh, so that's it. All right. Do we get any news uh, or no. anything? No, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Well, if you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show despite the last... 17 minutes uh, being almost exclusively research and bullshit. We like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the show and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. I've never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in the last 16 years. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over anything, please send us an email or send us a tweet. It's at NoHugging on Twitter or NoHuggingNoLearningShow at gmail.com. Both of those links are down in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify if you use either of those apps. If you like us a little bit more, you can always join us over on Patreon, where for five bucks a month, you can join the It's a Hyundai tier and get early access to extended versions of our episodes it's all the stuff that we normally clip out before we publish it on our free feed a couple of weeks ago tim and i went into a whole tangent about uh <laughs> trying to write our own weezer song that never made it to the free feed although i, I think i'm um, i found the clip of that that i that i clipped out i will be posting just that on uh, on the free feed i think sometime as you're as you're listening to this on the free feed, uh, go back a couple of like uh, publishings because it's it's already up there. But it was it was too good to only post for Patreon. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. It's it's, <laughs> the, it's a good advertisement for joining the Patreon because it is it's above average for the conversation that you're missing out on, but it's indicative. Yeah, it's uh it's the type of stuff that you're missing out on if you're not yes. part of the patreon and that is patreon.com slash no hugging link of that is down in the description patreon.com slash no hugging all of that being said oh wait i never give a shout out to the uh people who are already giving us money and i also have <laughs> i also have something to say about patreon we do movie reviews i don't know if you mentioned that i, I think you probably did oh that's right uh, we, i did not yet because Go we ahead. did uh, forgetting sarah marshall recently and i have tasked myself now with finding our next movie to do and i've got a list of i've got about a dozen because i want to find one that i love that i I, and again i don't want to pick a movie that i i hope ted hates i hope by showing you a movie i love that you're like well i do actually love this but i also wouldn't mind if you were like why you know like i have several times to you why do you like this movie (laughs) why did i have to watch this movie why did you make me do this I'm down for that. I'm down for that. Please, please find something that you are hoping that I love that I uh, ultimately am like, why the fuck does Tim love this so much? My number one pick is kind of more of a Christmas movie. And so I'd love to get the downvoter on and do it. But it, Christmas is so far away. It's too good. It's too good to like not do it. But I have I have such a long list. You know, like I said, I, I found like about a dozen movies that you might have seen. So it might be a moot point. But my number one pick. So I went through and I, I found the Rotten Tomato score and the audience score of all of them. My number one pick, which I'm going to keep close to the vest right now, is 2939. This movie I love. It's a splatty tomato tipped over popcorn, well into the red of both of those categories. Twenty nine thirty nine. I cannot wait. One I already mentioned to you, Joe's apartment. That's a nineteen forty two. So Ooh. Rotten Tomato score nineteen, audience score forty two, and I love this movie. Another one is it gets better. Ten fifty. 
<laughs> oh my god okay see i feel like and that is one of my yeah i feel like a 10 50 like a 10 critic and a 50 audience would be good because you know i know i, I mean th- things that are normally going to be like not like c- like certified 100 percent <laughs> critic rating and then 76 percent like audience rating that's going to be your your art house best picture yeah. nominees that's going to be your the whales that's going to be your you're everywhere everywhere all at once although i think that's pretty high on both sides yeah yeah i think you're probably right about that and but i agree like a movie that a movie that pleased everyone is less interesting to me me than a movie that obviously hit the sweet spot of a very specific audience yeah and that 1050 i gotta say is it's one of my favorite american sex comedies i think it can i think it can fall under that category if we wanted to watch it and it has jason siegel Oh so, damn! All right, there you go. A little little <laughs> clue there. I don't even know what to do because I don't. I, I don't know if I want to give you. I'll, I'll tell you what that one is. That one okay. is Slackers. Have you ever seen Slackers? I have not. I've never with, seen with Slackers. Uh, Devin Sawa and Jason Schwartzman. Okay. Oh god. Because I love that one. Yeah, it's it's really. So I'm tempted to do. I don't know what to do though. But it, I got time to think about it because I can't do it this week because we're going home uh, for the kids' spring break. But so I'll, I'll just have to figure out whether I want to do Joe's Apartment or Slackers or one of the many other movies. Let me see. Oh, I have a – I bet you've seen Saving Silverman. Have you seen that one? Tim, I loved Saving Silverman I knew it. I knew as it. a child. I loved this movie. That is a <laughs> – by the way, that's a 1951. God damn. I believe I it. Know. I believe it. I can't. You, I, that you, don't, movie is, you don't give a critic score on Saving Silverman higher than a nineteen. Absolutely that movie to not. me, on a comedy scale, is like an eight. It's like so fun. Not like eight percent out of a hundred. I mean, like an eight out of ten. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I thought you meant because I mean, we were talking about percentages for for most of this conversation. Yeah, that, it's like I, eight eight out of one hundred. Like oh, I don't so, know. So you hate it? <laughs> I don't know how you can watch that movie and not just laugh the whole time. It's one of the funniest <laughs> movies. It's g- such great Jack Black and Steve's on. Great um, Jack Black performance. Yeah, it's just. Uh, I mean, my my college buddies and I would quote that nonstop. Like just all of the great Neil Diamond stuff and all of the uh, Arlie Ermy. They got Arlie Ermy in that movie to be like the goofiest, weirdest prison gay teacher, like that they still hung out with. It's like that man was in Full Metal Jacket. That man worked with Kubrick for crying out loud. So wait, who was hey, paychecks wait. a paycheck, man? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wait, it was Full Metal Jacket? I think I messed up there. Oh no, it was Kubrick. I was getting mixed up with um, what's that other? Anyway, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I'm like that. It's just so funny. Uh, I can't believe that's a 1951. So all right, that one, that one is. It's not off the list for Patreon, but it's off the list for this. You know, for particular. Yeah, it's it's off the list for this particular assignment. Finding a movie that I love that Ted may or may not like. What about uh, this? Is a weird one to me. Have you ever seen Mystery Men? With ben, I ben Stiller. I wanted to so bad whenever yeah. I was a kid, and then I I was like looking up in the paper, looking up the uh, the movie listings for our local theater. Yeah, and I was asking my grandma to take me because my grandma's always the one who took me to the movies. Yeah, she she would give me like a roll of quarters to go like play the games oh, out yeah. in the lobby. Tim, I I looked in the paper one and a half weeks. After Mystery Men came out, yeah, and it had already been replaced. (laughs) It bombed so hard that they could not even give it a full second week run. 
I can't believe that. I, and I don't remember the first time I saw Mystery Men, but I definitely fell in love. But here's what's surprising about it. That's a 60-57. So basically wow. the audience and the critics, like 60% agree it's it's not that bad. And I, I, I think it's ex- excellent. And another quotable movie that my buddies in college and I would just quote nonstop. I mean, maybe that like that might be a good one to watch, because I, but I doubt you'd hate it. But I was surprised at the critics' score. And the audience score for that is like one of the best of the ones I was looking up. I was like, yeah, I remembered like you, like this movie bombs so hard. I bet it's like a, you know, a five, five or something. But no, it's it's uh, yeah, it got pretty good, pretty good reaction. But that's definitely well. So we'll keep that one on the list because you haven't seen it. But I be- I venture to say you'd like it if you're even into it, into the idea a little bit. Plus, it's Ben Stiller and William H. Macy and friggin Paul Rubens back when he was like coming back up through the through the ranks. And Kel, it's got Kel Mitchell. Uh, Janine Garofalo, so Seinfeld there. So, you know, with Janine Garofalo and Ben Stiller, you got Seinfeld and Curb covered pretty well in in two of the leads. So yeah, that one will have to remain on the list. But between the, see, I don't know about the, the with the one that's more Christmas oriented. I don't know if we want to hold on to it for Christmas and do it with the downvoter, or do it with the downvoter now and then release it on free feed over Christmas, so that mm, we. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I do like doing a. Uh... A new Christmas episode, although I do think we kind of kind of shafted the people who were giving our giving us money this past Christmas because we just released everything on the free. Yeah, feed that's anyway. true. <laughs> um, and also, this movie is not really a Christmas movie. It just came out around Christmas when it was released. I think the I think it starts and ends at Christmas, so it's Christmas time in the beginning of the movie, and then it's Christmas time at the end of the movie. But it's really not a Christmas movie. But but you know we could count it as one anyway. That's uh, the, I'll just just prelude to say that I did do my homework on on picking a movie, and hopefully maybe the, the week I get back from going back to Virginia or whatever, we can record another one of those. I'm down for Sweet. that. Sweet. All right, that's my spiel. Where are we I at? think you're you were gonna read we off at? the patrons' names. That's right. Yeah. That's right. By the way, if you heard a so movie that you wanted me to do. Out of all of those, please let me know. I know yeah, I only mentioned know. a couple, but know. if you have a pick, we'll do that one because you know how indecisive I can be. <laughs> all right, so special thank you to the people who are joining us over on Patreon already. We got Nate Collins, Samara Ortiz, the guys and gals over at the Idiotville Podcast, John and Kathleen Murphy, Tim's dad and mom. I, I, don't, I only say dad and mom, not mom and dad, <laughs> because your dad comes first in my list, but mom and dad is so much more like, I don't know, uh, easy to say. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, mom, mom, and dad is like the the normal way to say the pair of parents. Yeah, it's uh, there's got to be a word for that kind of phrase where you say like, oh yeah, I'd like a jelly and peanut butter sandwich. Like what? What? No. <laughs> what? But I don't know what it would be. <laughs> I know there's probably a term for that, but yeah, it's like there's no there's an accepted order, and it's peanut butter and jelly. You psychopath, not jelly and peanut butter. <laughs> You know, there's someone out there who just only calls it jelly and peanut butter, and everyone else is wrong. They're yeah. they're the Larry David of their own universe. Yeah, maybe it's because you put the peanut butter on first, but I don't even know if that's correct. I mean, maybe maybe, maybe no one does it all the same way, but yeah, jelly and peanut butter sandwich, you put the jelly on first, and then peanut butter on top. Uh, but yeah, uh, John and Kathleen Murphy, Tim's dad and mom, Will Hall, Danica Ligorio, J-Dog Conlord, Nick Kudla, Adam Webb, and Megan Stolarski. Thank you guys so much. If you want to join them over at Patreon and get early access to extended episodes and movie reviews, all for just five bucks a month, patreon.com slash no hugging. All that being said, this week we've got season six, episode three, the Ida Funkhauser Roadside Memorial. 
Original air date, September 23rd, 2007. And if you are looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see Larry argues with Susie and Richard Lewis over condolences and is accused of pinching flowers by Marty Funkhauser. Wow. Part of that I hate immediately. Like, should I just get into, like, when the fuck does he argue with Richard Lewis over condolences? (laughs) When does that happen? And also, arguing with (laughs) Susie over condolences takes less than 10 seconds. It may be around yeah, 10 or 15 that, that seconds. That takes no time at all. Oh my god. <laughs> those are not those are not big enough plot points in this 30 minute episode to be the first two things listed. Someone looked at the cast list and the title and made an assumption <laughs> and then was like, "Yeah, I'm sure he argues with them over uh, something su- sad, <laughs> condolences, yeah." There's no, nothing, nothing about. Okay, we'll, yeah. we'll get into it whenever we get like actually into it the. It sounds episode. like there's a huge, huge <laughs> plot point that is not touched on at all in this. It description. sounds like we'll be able to make it better, uh, so we'll try at the end. It's and we have plenty of room too because this is a long. Yeah, we're just gonna one. have to burn it to the ground as well. I mean, those are almost maybe the more difficult <laughs> ones because there's nothing from this one we can keep. I don't think. We'll have to see. Uh, so we open at Jeff's, and Larry and Jeff are discussing Marty's mother, Ida Funkhauser. She is the one uh, uh, that's Marty's mom, not his wife, as as we kind of uh, hypothesized last episode. They're discussing Marty's mom being hit by a car while she was in her wheelchair, and that's Jesus how she Christ. died. Yeah, very, uh, very yeah. grim way to start the show. But also not surprising to Jeff and Larry because they say she was wild in that thing. Uh, just no regard, I guess, for road safety, and so... Uh, this is where we've ended up. And there's even a memorial site on Sunset where she got hit. Larry says that Funkhauser owes him 50 bucks from golf, and he's probably never going to see it because you can't ask a mourner for money. Susie, this is where Susie and Larry have a standoff over who says, who gives condolences for their friend Marty Funkhauser's loss of his mom to the other person. Susie says that they were much closer with Marty, so Larry should say, oh, sorry about Marty's, hearing about Marty's mom. But Larry says that he's known Marty longer, and so that's why Susie should say sorry about your friend's mom to him. Uh, but they do not reach an agreement on that. And that's the end of the condolences storyline. <laughs> that's it. And Richard that's Lewis it. was that's not there. there. To it. If you notice, Richard Lewis not present. <laughs> um, and the uh, their interviews are tomorrow for Jeff and Susie and Larry for this school that they're trying to get Sammy into and Keisha and Daryl. Oh, boy. I was about to say the black children. Uh, because I mean, they, they're the blacks, but <laughs> you're, you're technically correct yeah, cause, th- because, but yeah, it's capital B and then children. <laughs> Maybe I should make it possessive and say the blacks children or Loretta blacks children. <laughs> Loretta blacks. Loretta blacks. There, there we children. go. Yeah. I, 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 I oh boy. Uh, and so, uh, Jeff and Larry, they'll want some ice cream right now so they're gonna go get some ice cream and they go to mondo gelato frozen yogurt which i gotta say looked fake but it actually was real it is uh, apparently permanently closed but it was at 10893 west pico boulevard there in west la and i couldn't find anything it obviously didn't make too big of an impact in the community because oftentimes there's at least a little blurb in like uh, you know like i mentioned all the time la weekly or something like, like mondo R- gelato I- closing its doors r.i.p mondo gelato we'll yeah. always love you or, or some <laughs> something like that but nothing like that no 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 wow. in-depth profile of the owners who immigrated from somewhere and had this successful west la business like <laughs> n- none of that it normally just, there's a, a lot of that to exist wow yeah. <laughs> mondo Alrighty. gelato just gone 
Jeff uh, all of a sudden decides he does not want or need ice cream in his physical state, so he's got to leave because he has no self-control. But Larry's going to stick around because he's going to get ice cream, and he's going to get Cheryl ice cream because he's being nice because he wants sex because that's what he does. He's very nice, and then after they have sex, he goes, this was a funny line to me, then I go back to the way I am. (laughs) Oh, God. I thought that was hilarious. Then I just go back to the way I, like he knows that, you know, me. Then I go back to being Larry. Larry is in line behind this sample lady who won't stop asking for a taste of literally every one of Mondo Gelato's offerings. And was this, was this uh, the woman from Reno 911, Carrie Kenny Silver? It is not Carrie Kenny Silver. And I thought she looked like someone else too. I thought she looked like Nora Dunn from the old days of SNL, but it was neither. Her name is like mm. Roberta something or other. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, just a similar face to similar stars. But while Larry is waiting and kind of like ramping up his commentary about this woman, like, oh, yeah, taste them all. Yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah, uh, taste oh, What do you think banana's going to taste like? I don't know. Oh, probably a banana and stuff like that. In behind Larry walks Jesse Heyman, the world's greatest extra. Like, weren't we just talking about him a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> yes, because he's in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And I was like, and he's credited as Mondo Gelato customer. And here it is. <laughs> in like the third episode after we did uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall on Patreon, we come to his episode. So there he was. <laughs> yeah. The world's greatest extra. Absolutely. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Uh, but so so finally, the sample lady, uh, you know, engages with Larry and says that it's her right to sit there and, and do what she wants because she's in, you know, the front of the line. And Larry calls her a sample abuser. And so the lady finally decides on one. She's had enough of Larry. But as she leaves... She kind of looks at Larry funny uh, and and just kind of like gives him a, a second kind of puzzling look as she leaves. So Larry's walking home from Mondo Gelato and he runs into Marty Funkhauser, who's out for a jog. And this is this is where Larry is the way he is, because he calls out Funkhauser. He calls him discourteous for not returning his condolences call. He's like, oh, you know, I called and, and left a message uh, of, of condolences. yet never returned my call. And Marty rightly so was like, I got a lot of stuff going on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, and, and to that, Larry just says, yeah, well, still. Yeah. I'm like, you're not in the right here, <laughs> <No>. Larry. <laughs> but I love this line here where Marty's like, I lost my dad, uh, you know, a couple a year ago, a couple years ago, whatever. Now I've lost my mom. I'm an orphan. <laughs> <laughs> and Larry disagrees. Larry thinks there's an age cutoff for where you can call yourself an orphan. Marty says you could be 70. And if you lose your parents, you, you're an orphan. Uh, and Marty is technically right here, so I guess I have to agree with him, <laughs> right? Like, if you don't have either of your parents, you're an orphan, right? Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like the cutoff is if you still rely on your parents for something, e- either either of your parents. Yeah. It, it, well, I, I guess it would be yeah. If uh, if both of your parents are deceased and you still rely on them for something at the time of death, whether that be money housing even just knowledge of how to do certain things yeah i think you have the ability to call yourself an orphan (laughs) but you're but you're kind of on larry's side where funkhauser can't call himself an orphan (laughs) i i think marty funkhauser is pretty well off at this point (laughs) i I think he's okay yeah but i mean technically he's an orphan technically he is correct technically he is an orphan yes but he's also a very wealthy man in los angeles who seems like he was the one taking care of his parents yeah yeah probably (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know what you'd call that, but Larry uh, is. He says that there's a you know there's a cutoff for calling yourself an orphan. Also, Larry's more interested in his ice cream cone than the fact that Marty Funkhauser just lost his parents uh, and now both of his parents. And but Marty Funkhauser does remember that he owes him fifty bucks for golf. And so from his sweaty running shoe, he pulls out <laughs> a fifty dollar bill that has been. You know, that is, first of all, moist, but has also been, like, compressed to the size of, like, a marble <laughs> um, in its... I'm surprised he could unravel it to the point because it was just so wet. And, you know, you figure if you, you the second you tried to undo one of those folds, it would just, like, disintegrate in your hand and just separate from itself and just cease <laughs> to be a passable $50 bill. Larry won't accept the sweaty, moist 50 from uh, Funkhauser's shoe, but Funkhauser says... This is it. This is the fifty. If you don't want this fifty, this is it. And so, and I, I like I like Funkhausers. <laughs> I like Marty's side on this. It's like, look, this is me paying you back. If you don't accept this, then I'm not paying you back. Again, he's technically correct. <laughs> I can't disagree with him. I mean, I can agree with Larry's hygiene on on the issue. You know, feelings there, but I, I got to agree with Marty. He is technically correct. He's technically an orphan. Who is paying off a bet <laughs> with this this moist, sweaty, moist fifty dollar bill? Uh, but so eventually, Larry gets Marty to like place it in his pocket on his own. But it, and it's they did a great job making it because they obviously switched out the bill to make it a little straighter. But they did make a, a good job making it look like a damp bill that yeah. that Marty puts in Larry's pocket without Larry touching it in his jacket pocket uh, at Larry's house. Loretta is upset that Larry didn't bring ice cream for the whole group. <laughs> but Larry didn't do that deliberately. He just forgot that you know because, he forgot. Yeah, to he think was about blinded by sex. Yeah, he was yeah, blinded that's... by the prospect of of getting it on. Yeah, that's part of it. But also, I understand his point of view, where he's like, "I'm not used to having to think about other people. I'm really only used to having to think about Cheryl." So it's not that I deliberately did this, but it, it's no condolence to. Loretta, who's like, oh, so you just forgot about us. And Larry thinks that's like, good. like, yeah, he didn't do it out of malice. He did it out of, um, I don't know, what would you call that? Um, uh, self-centeredness, <laughs> I guess. Just it wasn't negligence? like, yeah, yeah, negligence. Yeah, it's like, no, I did that because I'm, you know, I don't think about other people. Um, <laughs> but Cheryl comes over and informs Larry that, uh, you know, somehow she knows, like, oh, did you uh, did you get in a little fight at the ice cream store? And he's like, yeah, this lady was, you know, abusing the sample process. Well, that lady just happens to be the dean of admissions for the Dryden School, where... Oh, man. Yeah, where Keisha oh. and Daryl and Sammy are all trying to get in. What a really bad coincidence what that I'm know? sure would happen in the real world. <laughs> oh. And I loved... Larry's he's like well you know it wasn't just about me I was trying to save the clerk and Cheryl's <laughs> like the clerk nothing was wrong she was just doing her job um, and Larry's like no no she, I'm sure she was getting fed up with this uh, and because she's been taught the customer's always right when in reality the customer is usually a moron and an asshole and I, wow. I, I think that's a great Larry line because I think anybody that worked in retail will tell you that is true 100 <laughs> percent yeah <laughs> the customer is not always right they're usually a moron and an asshole if you have to engage with them and but she was not following the rules of being a sampler and uh, and not following the rules of society so we get a we live in a society moment from the yeah, real the, george the, costanza 
the unwritten rules of society, as Larry puts it. And he even gives the example. He's like, because Cheryl asks, asks him, what are the unwritten rules of society, Larry? And Larry's like, well, you know, like how at, at night you tiptoe. You, you don't always like uh, just walk around like normal. You tiptoe at night. Have you ever tiptoed at night just because it was nighttime? I'm... I'm quieter. I mean, certainly I don't like stomp <laughs> up and down the steps. If I have to go down, like I know that what steps to skip that like really make noise. But we have the. Um, I'll I do, do and too. I'll do that do in too. the. Yeah, and I'll do that in the morning when everyone's asleep and I'm leaving. But I'll also do it at night. I mean, because we have kids who are asleep. That if we wake up, it's like they're gonna one especially Declan will like just sleep in our bed with us if he wakes up in the middle of the night. It's like damn it. So really don't want to wake him up. But as far as tiptoes. I think mainly I'm just, you know, sure-footed. I just kind of go like very heel-toe. I'm very deliberate and sure-footed. But I don't think I walk on tiptoes like a like a cat burglar in a cartoon or anything. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm definitely the same. I, I'm a lot more aware of the noise that I am making. I know uh, the first step down on our stairs whenever I'm going downstairs is so loud, Tim, <laughs> that I, I I turn the light on, I grab the railing, and I skip the first <laughs> step entirely. So I, I'm like uh, taking my own life into my hands, <laughs> making or breaking my entire day based on if my knee wants to hold up on lunging down the first <laughs> thing after I wake up. <laughs> Does it make that kind of loud wood popping sound yes. where it settles? Our, yeah. stairs, our stairs are so shitty at this <laughs> rental. It's so bad. They're so loud, and, like, you feel like they're going to, like, collapse in on oh, themselves. <laughs> yeah, our, the second from the bottom is the worst stair on our steps. It, it makes that, you know, you just step on it, and it kind of settles into place where it popped out. I don't know, and it makes that loud sort of, like, wood against wood creek pop kind yeah. of sound. Yeah. Like, I, I thought the stairs going into our basement at our house in Erie were bad uh, because they were like, you know, that they were uh, the, the actual boards for the stairs were very narrow. They were only like five inches wide. <laughs> wow. And the the angle of the stairs was very steep. I would take those any day over these <laughs> stairs. <laughs> Yeah, but no, no tiptoeing. We're not tiptoers. But I, that, that was funny. I like when people, and I think it, it happens. It happened in Curb before, where Larry talks about the rules of society, and someone else called him. Like, you think people fo- are supposed to follow these rules that are in your head? These are not the rules of society. These are the rules of Larry David's utopian society, which is yeah. really who was that? I, I don't remember it. either. But it might have been Funkhauser. It was either Funkhauser or Jeff, I want to say. But I think Funkhauser was involved. But also, it was someone. <laughs> yeah, it was like you think people follow these are supposed to follow these rules. No You're one knows talking. your no rules. No one knows Larry. your rules. Yeah, that was it. That was it. <laughs> Yeah, I really like that. It's something that that George never got called on as many times as he talked about <laughs> living in a society. No one was ever like, what are you talking about? That's not one of the rules of society. But so Larry is going to apologize with flowers and apologize to the dean and make it all right so that their kids can get into this great school. I liked when so she, <laughs> he gives Cheryl the ice cream and he still thinks like, you know, that he there might be some sex involved. And he's like, oh, well, you know, I got, I got you some ice cream. And Cheryl goes, oh, thanks. One scoop for the whole house. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So, so good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Cheryl's burns are, are you know, napalm often. Then a painter comes out of the bathroom. 
like this painter was there the whole time listening to this whole conversation. He comes out of the bathroom and Larry is kind of upset that he's like, well, you know, you came over to paint this room and then you went into the bathroom and then I come back and you're in the bathroom. He's like, why am I paying you 50 bucks, the full $50 for your time for, uh, you know, all this toilet time? I don't like paying for that. But he's like, I'll tell you what, here you go. Here's 50 bucks, which, by the way, two rooms for 50 bucks. If I could get in in whatever beautiful part of Santa Monica or wherever Larry lives, like if I could hire that guy right now, I would do get him to do the whole yeah, house. Jesus Christ! Here you go, two hundred dollars for the whole house. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, good sir. Uh, Twenty five dollars a room. Jeez, uh, I mean that doesn't even cover the paint. I mean, but so he offers him Larry Funkhauser's moist fifty, and the painter bristles at that. Uh, and so Larry's like, all right, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, so Larry David definitely know Jerry Seinfeld, who carries thousands at all times. He has forty five ninety, or you can have the full fifty, but it's this fifty right here. It's the only <laughs> one I got. And so the painter opts for the forty five ninety instead of the fifty dollar bill. So at least Larry's kind of turning a profit on taking this moist fifty in this case. You know that's got to be pretty nice. Uh, I did recognize this painter too. Did you recognize him? Mm, I, I don't. I don't know for Let sure. Let me just look it up really quick because I should have done that. I think he was just kind of like I know. I know when I find his name, he's going to be in something that. There we go. Ken Hudson Campbell is his name, and he was in Armageddon. Oh my God, he's in Groundhog Day. Of course, I think he's the guy at the beginning who's like, "I'll have to see the groundhog." <laughs> That's it. He's man in hallway. Oh yes, God. he's man in hallway. <laughs> he's Santa in Home Alone. He's the Santa in Home Alone who goes, you know, who who Kevin's like, "I know you're not him, but I know you oh, work okay, for him." Okay, okay. So could you get him a message? He's that guy. Yeah, I knew I recognized him from a couple of bit parts in things. That may be it. Uh, he was in uh, an episode of Mike and Molly. <laughs> um, some other stuff. Those are the two big ones that I definitely recognized him from. There we go. That's all I needed to know. And so uh, over at Lasting Impressions, which, uh, you know, Lasting Impressions, Flowers and Gifts, they even had a nice website listed, a very 2007-style website. I don't know when this they got this signed, but you could see it said elastingimpressions.com. Because I guess probably even... <laughs> yeah. At the t- even how, when they- how would people know that we're on the internet? We have to have the E in there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, no. So whenever they got this signed, the early days of the internet, yeah. But there was already a lastingimpressions.com, maybe, and that's why they were like, uh, fine, elastingimpressions.com. That's like the early days of Twitter where every celebrity is like, well, I need to have official or real yes. on my on my twitter account i mean now i now i think we're fucking back to that because verification check marks don't mean <laughs> fucking anything now yeah e-lasting impress but e-lasting impressions uh, did not make it through the uh, dot-com boom i guess because it's no longer i i cannot believe i had a business name and a website and i couldn't find anything about this place no idea i mean there are lots of flower stores called lasting impressions uh, all over the country but i cannot find this one in la so uh, I guess I didn't. Maybe I didn't try hard enough, but I just kind of gave up. Uh, so no idea where it is. But Larry is there buying flowers, and he tries to pay for his bouquet with the moist, damp fifty. And <laughs> this cracked me up because the florist just looks at it and goes, "No." <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing use of two letters! Like what that actor did a great job. No, no. <laughs> uh, and so he calls Funkhauser. 
and he's I guess that's the only money because he gave all his money to the painter. Um, and he calls Funkhauser and says, nobody will take this 50 from me. You got to pay me a real $50 bill because I can't get rid of this thing. And then he passes the titular Ida Funkhauser Roadside Memorial, and he parks his car and jumps out and steals a bouquet of flowers and gets back in his car. And so over at the Dryden School, which again, no idea. Uh, it, it sure looked real. But it, it probably wasn't. But the weird thing about this was when I Googled Dryden School, Los Angeles, the wild, it gave me um, results for the Wildwood School. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe the Wildwood School used to be Dryden. Nope. It it opened hmm. in 1971 as... Probably probably just like a suggested ad, you know, like a... a uh, in, uh, what's, the, what's the term? A... Like the sponsored... Yeah, Stuff. it's a sponsored ad, but it's a oh oh it's a geofenced listing. So for anybody who's looking for Dryden Dryden School, your search result will pop up. Yeah, yeah, I I have no idea. Like because I get the Wikipedia page for Wildwood School first, and then I get the actual Wildwood School homepage in Los Angeles. And there's a Dryden Elementary School in Dryden, New York, but I could not find anything about. Yeah, no idea. It's it's just really weird how. But I'm like, so maybe they use the Wildwood School as a filming location or something. But there's not even any any indication of that. So uh, again, no idea uh, what this actual location is or if it's real or not. But Larry is there apologizing, and his apology is accepted by the dean of admissions. And I love, I love when people do this to Larry. And they, I mean, she knew what she was doing, but they dig in in a really funny way that make him regret doing the good things. This is why Larry does not do good things is because she's like, wow, it's so rare for someone to just like own up to what they did and apologize and say, you know, I, I admit like I was rude. I was obnoxious. I'm not a good person. <laughs> just like digging into him that way. He's like, well, yeah. Oh yeah. And Larry, like even at that point, he's like, well, I, I mean, I am a really good person. <laughs> he, he just can't, he just can't fucking let it go. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, just, you, you knew what this was. You just have to grovel and take it. Uh, from her but I, I like the way that she did it and then her assistant brings in some fabric samples because she's getting her couch reupholstered and wouldn't you know it once again with the samples she is so indecisive and she wants but, them all but here's the thing. in the ice cream shop larry was stuck behind her to buy his ice cream yeah. this time around larry's purposefully staying there he's making yeah. his own misery <laughs> he is not needed in this office or this conversation any longer yeah, he's like, well, you know, you just got to pick one. He's like, I know, but they're all so good. I want them all. He's like, oh, you can't have them all. You got to pick one. You can you can do it. Just pick one. Yeah, but here's the thing. With fabric, you literally could pick them all. The couch would be hideous, but you literally could pick every single fabric in that swatch book. Yeah, you could just do it with those samples. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> just find someone to do that. That would be good. You can have it all, sample lady. And so Larry is driving by the memorial once again. And he gets out and steals two bouquets from the memorial this time. And at home, he gives the flowers to Cheryl and Loretta and apologizes to them as well. But that's when the doorbell rings and it's Marty Funkhauser. And they have a fight over the $50 bill. But Marty Funkhauser is also upset about the flower theft. He drove by and noticed there was bouquets missing. And Larry <laughs> tries rushing him out the door at that point. Because he drives by every day, so of course he's going to notice when there's anything anything amiss. Uh, but that's when Marty's uh, innate 
sense of smell kicks in, and he smells a white lily that, of course, was in the bouquet that he gave to Cheryl and Loretta. And so Larry has no choice but to confess that he did steal these bouquets from the roadside memorial. <laughs> I, I loved how Marty, uh, like, impressing Larry, he's like, oh, what's the shop that you got him at? Larry can't think of one flower shop. He can't think of the name of a flower shop. And he was just at one. And he was Lasting just impressions. at one. Yeah. <laughs> he was just at elastingimpressions.com's physical site. He could have said elastingimpressions.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he couldn't think of one store name to tell to tell Marty. Yeah, or even, I mean, he could have made it up. Could have just made one up right then. And then hope that Marty would never go check into it. Like, oh, I got it at, uh, you know, Flowers and Stuff on on Ventura or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And just hope that Marty would never look into it. But Marty probably does know all the flower places in town or something like that. Seems like they've lived there a while. Uh, And so (laughs) this this to me got a a huge laugh. Like, everybody's pissed at Larry. And Marty wants to know what happened to the third bouquet. And, of course, it went to the, you know, the dean of admissions. And so I love when Marty looks at Cheryl and goes, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> that was so funny. Jesus I don't know how Christ. they didn't just crack up at that. But I mean, then they, they probably did on, on one of the takes. <laughs> I feel sorry for you. Uh, but then Marty delivers one of the beloved lines from the Curb Your Enthusiasm fandom. If you weren't my best friend, I'd, I think I forget what he ends with that, but I'd squeeze your uh, head until it popped me- off or something like that. Let me see. Uh, uh, if you were my best friend, I would take my bare hands and pop your head off of your neck. Yeah, and, you and the only thing Larry says to that is, he's not my best friend. <laughs> yeah, I love that. He's not my best friend. <laughs> like That's what he takes away from it. I'm his best friend? Uh, yeah, people love that exchange uh, in, in the Curb Your Enthusiasm universe. Uh, so Larry, uh, you know, does have to go get the bouquet back from... Uh, he has to retrieve the missing bouquet from the Dean of Admissions. He also, you know, mentions to Cheryl, like, uh, you know, because he, he was about to go upstairs, quote unquote, a.k.a. have some sex because she got nice flowers and she got ice cream earlier. Uh, and he's like, is there anything I can do to? And Cheryl goes, get back upstairs. And he goes, yeah. She's like, well, you know, I like that perfume. And he's like, oh, yeah, Belle Fee. And so he's going to go pick up some Belle Fee. Uh, to get back in Cheryl's good graces and hopefully get to go upstairs. So over at Kiehl's, which is a real uh, skincare, beauty, cosmetic, hair store, uh, and it is not on Wilshire, as Larry says. He's like, oh, yeah, they sell it at that one store, the only store that sells it. A very important plot point is that one on Wilshire. But this store is not on Wilshire. It's actually four blocks over on Montana, in Santa Monica, but this is the Santa Monica location of the Keels store. There are two long lines that Larry has to, you know, this was very relatable, even though it wasn't funny. It was very relatable where, you know, there's, if you go to a grocery store, friggin' target or literally anywhere there's lines, this has happened to you where you pick one and then all of a sudden the other one starts shorter line. And then the other line starts moving quicker. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. The other line starts moving quicker. And then, so sometimes you even, double back and you're like all right i'm gonna go back in that other line and trope at this point but larry uh does get in the line and he is behind a he switches line another sample abuser who just wants to smell every little scent that they have in this store and this was funny to me because 
she's not looking for anything in the clerk's like you're looking for anything in particular she's like no not really but i love all this stuff like she just went to a perfume store to smell like to test out like oh. you know, i was like i'm not looking for a shampoo i'll know it when i smell it though or shampoo uh, a perfume but i'll know it when i smell it uh i thought that was kind of a funny thing to I, do i don't think she even ends up buying anything does she i don't remember yeah, I'm, I have no idea. I think she might end up taking one just because, again, Larry starts his riffing and commentary on what this lady is doing. And so she takes so long, though, that Larry loses the last bell fee to the guy who was behind him in the first line. And the guy's like, well, you shouldn't have switched lines. And that's it. That's the last <laughs> bell fee. And as we know from Cheryl that this is the only store that sells it. I guess the other three or four locations in the greater Los Angeles area do not sell this particular perfume because there are several of these storefronts in, in the area. Larry goes on a rant that I think is the most Bernie Sanders that I've seen out of Larry to this point. It's very much like the character that he would play on SNL. He's like, I'm just saying, one line. Everyone gets in one line. Everyone's happy. There's no too. It's very much that the way the reason that people wanted Larry David to play Barry, uh, Bernie Sanders on SNL is is this scene in particular <laughs> to me stuck out. The little rant he goes off about why one line is better. You put up the barriers. People stand and they go at the same time. There's no. He's <laughs> like, and then he just kind of leaves after his one line rant, uh, soapbox moment. So over back at the Dryden School. Jeff and Susie are there during their interview. We learn a little bit of background on Sammy. She's 13. She's going to be going into seventh grade now. Um, and Larry is sneaking into the office to take back the flowers. Why he didn't just go buy another bouquet? Why would Marty want, like, you know, I, I think it, it would have been acceptable to replace the flowers rather than get the exact same flowers that were on the roadside memorial. But Larry is going in to, to grab these. But he's kind of caught. The assistant, like, comes back into the office uh, while Larry is trying to leave with them. So he stashes them in a bag that's sitting there on a chair. And it just happens to be because they notice that, uh, you know, Larry's there. And he's like, oh, I was just dropping by. I knew you guys had your interview. I just wanted to, you know, say good luck and stuff. And and the, the dean points out that Larry apologized earlier and brought some bouquet, bought a, brought a bouquet and asked the assistant where it is. And no idea, but wouldn't you know it, the bag that Larry shoved the flowers in was Susie's bag. And Susie has a great line on par with, as they're leaving the Dryden School, on par with Funkhauser looking at Cheryl saying, I feel sorry for you. She goes, just knowing you is a liability. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, I mean, Jeff's got a really good line here, too. I want to find. Oh, my gosh. uh, What was Jeff's exact line? (laughs) He's not upset with Larry for the bouquet and everything like that. He's upset with how upset Susie has gotten because of Larry. That's right. That's and then right. He has Je- to live Jeff with is, that. Yeah, Jeff is yelling, "I have to live with this now. You have fucked me." Or no, he's like, "I am fucked. You have <laughs> fucked me hard." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Susie's like, "Oh, you bet. You bet. You have to live with this now." He's like, "Ah, listen to that. No." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Susie beating Larry with the flowers is funny too, and like shoving them into his mouth almost, like making him eat them. Pretty funny. But they're they're in bad shape. The flowers are in bad shape. And so when Larry shows up at Funkhauser's. To drop the flowers off, Funkhauser is not happy with their appearance. Uh, but there are lots of friends and relatives that have gathered, uh, and Richard Lewis is one of them. So here, finally, in the last yeah. five minutes of the Richard and Larry both notice that when their hors d'oeuvres come out, people gather there just like friggin' attack the plate, like grabbing at it like it's the first food that they've had in months or something. 
Uh, and, and Richard Lewis says, if you dropped a quarter on the floor, there'd be a riot or something like that. Also, Funkhauser, Marty Funkhauser has set up like kind of a shrine to his mom with all the stuff that she loved, including, as Larry, Larry sees, a bottle of Belle Fee, the sex perfume. And so at home, Larry uh, comes home with the Belle Fee. And this to me was hilarious. He like shoves the kids out of the way. He was just talking about how much he loves to be called daddy by kids. He's like, you know, I've never ha- you know, wanted kids or anything like this, but I like being called daddy by the kids. You know, they call me daddy. And, and, uh, and so they like greet him at the door. Like Keisha has a picture she's trying to show him. And he like shoves her out of the way. And then um, <laughs> who's the other one? Brandon. Is that right? Daryl, sorry, Daryl. Daryl comes up uh, down the stairs to greet Larry. Uh, Daddy! And he like shoves Daryl out of the way to go upstairs to show Cheryl that he got the bell fee. Uh, and so over at Mountain View Cemetery, which I'm sure is real, but I didn't look it up. Uh, it's the service for the uh, Ida Funkhauser. And as they're making their way through the reception line, again, Marty's innate sense of smell detects bell fee. And he starts sniffing his mother's perfume and there Larry tries to make an exit, but I like how the guy behind him prevents Larry from leaving. He like shoves yeah. him. That was weird. <laughs> yeah. We get like a nice, like uh Western music bed yeah. here. And, uh, and, and like Larry's just trapped, you know, yeah. the end is coming. He's going to have to face it. Yeah. He's going to know that, uh, the, that who stole the bell fee from another Ida Funkhauser Memorial but Larry comes up with a plan. He drops the soggy, damp, sweaty, nasty 50 on the floor and causes a riot among Marty Funkhauser's friends and relatives. That's when Frolic starts and Larry's able to make his escape without being caught <laughs> as the Bell Fee Thief. And that's the end of the episode. Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right. By the way, shout out to Mayim Bialik showing up for a non-speaking, basically glorified extra role as Jody Funkhauser. Wait. Oh yeah. my god, she was on the yeah. couch, sitting she? right there next to her dad I... and mom. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay, I did not even catch her. Yeah. Wow. I, I was like, wow, came back. I mean, if she had not been there, I would not have thought of it. Anything, you know? Yeah, I did not e- did not even clock <laughs> that that was her. All right. Yeah. All yeah. right. Um all right, Tim, did you or what do we got for homework this I week? I didn't write anything down. Nothing. Got nothing. Yeah. Nothing at all. Okay. What do you like for cover art? Oh boy, that's a tough one. I mean, there's probably a good shot of Larry at the Ida Funkhauser Roadside Memorial. <laughs> um, you know, stealing the flowers. I'm sure there's a shot of that. Besides that, uh, Larry behind the the sample abuser in Mondo Gelato with possibly Jesse Heyman uh, oh, behind yeah. behind him. <laughs> um, what do you uh, What do you think? Anything like that? Well, I do really like Larry in front of the Roadside Memorial. I I do really like Larry in front of the roadside memorial, but also like if we could, I don't think we could find him in uh, one shot. Larry running up the steps, like pushing both kids out of the way just to go have <laughs> sex with Cheryl because he got her the perfume. Yeah, that's that's a pretty funny shot too. Yeah, I think you could probably get one, at least Daryl, maybe Keisha and her photo. <laughs> Like, um, like Daryl, like head into the corner of the wall, <laughs> post Larry shoving him out of the way. Yeah, that's a pretty funny <laughs> shot too. Yeah, I love it. Uh, all right, uh, let's see what we can do about this week's description. All right. So we had Larry argues with Susie and Richard Lewis over condolences and <sighs> is accused of pinching flowers by Marty Funkhauser. I mean, maybe I was wrong that we need to burn it down because we can certainly keep Larry's accused of pinching flowers by Marty Funkhauser. That that's not bad, right? It's not. But then again, Marty never really accuses him. 
Yeah, that's true. He just has to... He, he just finds out. Yeah, he just finds out. So, I mean, we could say Larry pinches flowers from Marty Funkhauser, and, I mean, the school, is that the other thing? Yeah, it's gotta be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. There's like... But how do you say that Larry messes up an interview to get all of the kids into school without giving it away? Yeah. You know, something about Larry navigates elementary school admission, the elementary school admission process, something like that. Um, Larry, how do we say he, Larry bungles, you know, Larry... Fucks up. Larry fucks up the elementary <laughs> school. Larry mishandles. Larry botches. I like botches. Larry botches the elementary school application process. Yeah, or admission process. And pinches flowers from Marty Funkhauser. Not bad. Not bad. What do you think? Yeah, I yeah. like that. I like that. I think it's good. And pinches right, so, flowers so, so from Marty Funkhauser. It's Larry. What, what is it in full? Larry botches the elementary school admission process or an elementary school admission process. Maybe we could say Larry botches an elementary school. No, nah, I guess process has to stay. Larry botches an elementary school admission process and pinches flowers from Marty Funkhauser. There it is. Yeah. There it is. Not All bad. right. Not bad. All right, Tim, did you like this episode? Yeah, you know, I had, a, I had a good time with this episode. I'm not going to give it a star or even a star low, but I think it uh, meets the very high bar that season six has already set. I just thought it was a great, you know, a great plateau sort of after two starred episodes from me that we've sort of reached. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm happy with this. You know, I got a couple of good laughs and there's some great like mission statement lines in this episode you like you could show this episode to somebody like this is a good average episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Like you don't need to know too much about the characters. You get a lot of background on Larry talking about the way I am or Funkhauser saying, I feel sorry for you to Cheryl or Susie saying, knowing you is a liability. Like those are just three mission statements of what Curb Your Enthusiasm is all about. <laughs> like that could be, you know, um, <laughs> that could be our generic HBO Max like, People feel sorry that Cheryl is married to Larry while just knowing him <laughs> is a liability to everyone else. Like, that's the episode description. <laughs> Larry is the way he is, and people feel sorry for Larry. Meanwhile, yeah. knowing him is a liability. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We did it. Um, I, uh, I like this episode as well. Uh, I, I think I liked it more than last week's episode, which I did give a star low to. Yeah. But I didn't like it enough to give it a full star. So I will give it a star low. So it's kind of like, uh, I mean, what? It's episode three of the season. I would say it's like the second highest ranked episode so far. Mm -hmm. um, but that's with, you know, two star lows and one full star. So now, do you need to give it a star I, I, I will, low low? I will low definitely agree. Just to remind yourself that it's less than the star low. <laughs> <laughs> what, talking about like last week's episode? Uh, yeah, if last week's episode was a star low, you'd give this one a star low low, right? No, which, the, is, if, a, which if, is a rating that I made up. No, because I would. Uh, th this I think is better than last week. So. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so, so last week's so is a star. Last low, week low. would be my star low low. <laughs> <laughs> Just to remind yourself, at the end of the season, we got a long way to go. You know. Jeez. Okay. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> I will do that. But for for now, for now, it'll just be a star low for me. <laughs> All right, next week we have got Season 6, Episode 4, The Lefty Call. Original air date, September 30th, 2007. And if you are looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see Larry regrets getting Richard Lewis's girlfriend, Cha-Cha, 
a job near the office bathroom. Cha-cha! Cha-cha's back! Yay! Uh, I don't remember much about this episode, but I kind of like the idea so far. Obviously, Larry's going to have to like engage in small talk with her, uh, you know, going to the bathroom every single time. So maybe I'm remembering a little bit of this episode, but uh, but I don't know. That seems like what my, why he might hate getting his uh, friend's girlfriend a job. We <laughs> will see. Um, is that it? Yeah, I think that is it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Haldwell. Be good. Be good.